And now, a Blaze Media podcast. Man stands with America. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. Hello, America. Thank you so much for tuning in today. This, of course, is the show where you come for the accent and sometimes the Fridgy French accent. Then you stay for the principles. I hope you're having a wonderful, blessed, calm week. I know this is a interesting week for most people. It's Easter. And we're going to have a special show today because we're going to talk about some issues that we don't normally talk about later in the show. I wanted to start today's show by apologizing. I've always been a person who is probably more self-critical than the average person and probably more than what's healthy. I've always believed in owning up to my mistakes or where I've fallen short. And I want to do that right now. I apologize for the last couple of weeks' shows. I'm apologizing not because... I don't think even one of people... One of you messaged me giving out about the standard of the shows. But I am upset with them. And I'll tell you why. I know how busy you were. Anytime you listen to a show, I appreciate it. I appreciate you more than you know. Taking... 50 minutes, 60 minutes, 70 minutes out of your week to listen to what I have to say. The truth of the matter is, not making excuses, but I've been angry for the last couple of weeks. And this microphone is such a blessing. The idea of getting behind this microphone and talking about the issues with all of you, with the ability to hopefully inspire you, Maybe educate you or inspire you to learn more about your nation or share a story with you is such an amazing blessing for me. But it also has a downside. When you're going through some of the stuff I've been going through the last couple of weeks and you're angry, it's the best you don't get behind that microphone because that translates into the show. I don't think anyone could listen to the last two weeks of my work and say, wow, I listened to John, I got inspired. I think I became, because of my frustrations in my personal life and some of the volunteer work I'm doing, I think I added to the problem. And for that, I sincerely, sincerely apologize. I strive to be better at all times. You deserve it. America deserves it. And I'm going to do my best to be more inspirational and less angry. Why? Because anger solves nothing. We need to deal with every frustration we are dealing with right now. And trust me, I have loads. I'm doing research on many different topics. Nothing of it is good. It's all very frustrating. It's all very fearful, being quite honest. 
and I'm trying to find a way to present what's coming in the world, what's coming in the next year to you, but also to do it in a way that doesn't make you fearful, doesn't make you angry, doesn't make you upset, but makes you motivated. It makes you motivated to be better, to help yourself, to help your family, to help your community. Because we need to start looking, not at problems, but for opportunities. Opportunities to grow, opportunities to serve, opportunities to love. Because if we seek out those opportunities, we find them and we win in the end. Now, speaking of opportunities, I want to talk to you about one big news story just to highlight the opportunities that are out there. And show you how the world is changing. Elon Musk. Elon Musk has been in the news a lot lately. I remember the times when I would say nice things about Elon Musk three, four years ago. And a lot of my friends on the right were like, you do realize he's like, you know, climate change kind of guy. And you know some of his principles. Like, yeah, I do. I disagree with them. But I don't have to agree with people to like them or respect them. I just like people who think. But also, even if I disagree with your diagnosis of the problem, if your solution is always private-based, then I'm a free market guy. I don't think climate change is the big deal Elon Musk does. But if you want to create electric cars and you're not getting government money, that's the big one, then I go for it. I respect the hell out of you. You're not looking good for government to solve it. You're solving it yourself by making electric cars cool. Good for you. We agree to disagree, but no problem with you. But Elon Musk is making a lot of waves. Elon Musk is seeing what's happening. Whether you like Elon Musk or hate Elon Musk, he believes in free speech. And he's not just one of these people who says, I believe in free speech, and everyone goes, yay! He's actually putting his money where his mouth is. And has put in an offer to buy all of Twitter. Cue all the liberal meltdown. It's going to be funny to watch. But he's made an offer. Why is this a story of hope? Ronald Reagan once said in your country, your president, government is not the answer. Government is always, always the problem. You want to solve Twitter? You think Twitter is an issue? You think big tech is an issue? Well, Elon Musk has just offered to potentially solve Twitter by buying us. Why is this an important message that you see? Because I don't know what his plans are for Twitter. I've seen some of the leaks. I've seen some of the reports. They all look pretty positive. He's saying he'll stand for free speech. He wants it to be a bastion of ideas. Good. I wish him all the luck. But also let us remember one thing. Let us start remembering who we are, quote-unquote. We're supposed to be the capitalists. We're supposed to be the innovators. We're supposed to be the creators. And right now, we're getting our butt kicked by the socialists, by the communists, by the progressives. Why is that? I get you're angry. The last two weeks, as I said, I've been very, very angry and hurt. But it's time to start doing actions. Deeds, not words. Deeds and not words. We need to start waking up and start seeing our opportunities. 
How can we make a positive difference in society? Because why? Because that is what Americans have always, always done. Generation after generation after generation after generation, Americans have had some major obstacle to overcome. And they've never been short of people who are willing to step up, to make a difference, to create, to innovate, but also to make sacrifice. It's time to remember just who we are and be part of the solution, not part of the problem. Seeking opportunity. That's our job as Christians. For the rest of this show, I want to talk to you about Easter. And I want to hit you with some very hard questions about Christianity and about our role in society. First question. Are we living up to what Jesus called for us to do? You look at the Christians that started America. You look at the pilgrims who first went to Holland and then came back to the United Kingdom, to England to the king, and then fled the king and went all the way over to the brave new world and discovered what we would call America. Their faith, their strength, their humbleness, their opportunist-driven mindset. Can we compare to them? Do we have the same belief? Do we have the same faith as they did? Christianity today. I hear people in America talk about America being a Christian nation. Let's ask that question, shall we? Is America a Christian nation? There's no doubt you can look at the Christian underpinning in this country, in the Declaration of Independence, in the Constitution, in the founding principles. You all know I'm a public speaker. I go around and I talk about reclaiming America's narrative. This week alone, I had three events. I was in Texas, had a wonderful time. Was in Amarillo and Lubbock. Got back Wednesday and Thursday morning, I was in Tulsa at City Elders. Talking about reclaiming America's narrative. Explaining why America is an exceptional nation. But I also do presentations in church where I link every principle I talk about in that presentation back to scriptures. The Christian underpinning of this nation is clear for anyone to see. If you're willing to look and you're willing to read and you're willing to learn, it is easy to find. But they're only words. Let's talk about deeds. Is America a Christian nation now? Is it living up to its biblical worldview? I heard some stats. I don't know if I shared them on this show. From my pastor. I live, as you know, near Tulsa, Oklahoma. Oklahoma is considered part of the Bible Belt. And my pastor said, we are the belt buckle of the Bible Belt in Tulsa. And he said, at best on a weekend, of the million people who live in Tulsa, at best, 200,000 of them go to church. 
So we live in the belt buckle of the Bible belt, as my pastor calls it, and we have a 20% attendance rate. Is that a Christian nation? But that's only going to church. Let's say that's irrelevant. I disagree, but let's say it's irrelevant. By our deeds, are we a Christian nation? Are we loving towards each other? Do we believe in forgiveness? Do we believe in giving people a second chance? These are questions I've been asking myself recently. For a reason that no one else will understand by those really, really close to me. And even if you have made a mistake, allegedly in the past, what do you have to do to make it right? Should we just shun that person? Just ignore them? They are dead to us? Or do we actually believe in, I'll give you another chance? Trust me. I know Christianity is, it's easy to read it on paper and think it's, this is easy. But in practice, it's so hard. I have been stabbed in the back more times than a lot of people you know. I'm not trying to be a victim or a martyr. I'm just saying I know how hard it is to forgive. I have been wronged because of what I do by people who have never met me. But people who are connected to people beside me, through me, have stabbed me in the back. Have said bad things about me. Have questioned my motives. Have questioned my intent. So I know how hard forgiveness is. Forgiveness is easy to say, but hard to do. But do we actually live up to that? Look around at what you see on social media. Does anyone see the love of God on social media? Do you see the love of God or the forgiveness of God on social media? Or have we made it so easy through innovation and creativity to go, I'm just going to block you. We disagree, blocked. Do you see the love in action, in person? Do you see people reaching out to help other people do you see people looking to make a positive difference in society and i'm not saying they're not there i see them all the time i see people willing to make the big sacrifice but the question isn't are there people who do it the question is are we doing it as much as we used to one of the saddest things i see in america and I've seen it over the last 20 years as your culture has got so politicized. Is that it takes a natural disaster or a terrorist attack in 9-11 to bring your people together. All day we all wear our labels. I'm a lefty, you're a righty, I'm a liberal, you're a conservative. I like Fox, you like CNN. It takes a disaster for us to put those labels away and serve each other. Thankfully, you still do to this point. Anytime there's a natural disaster, people put their labels away and you see people cooking for volunteers, for, for firefighters, for police. I see people handing out water. I see people rescuing people when there's tornadoes, taking people in. But why does it take a disaster for Americans to show real love to each other? How about we do that on a daily basis? Are we living up to the God's promise? 
Are we being good, kind, and gentle people? Which brings me to the next point. Seeking opportunities. Do we believe in God? See, words that just won't leave my soul for the longest period of time are George Washington's word of the Constitutional Convention. Let us raise to a standard to which the wise and honest can repair. The rest is in the hands of God. There are many times I have said that saying on this show. I don't want to get into the story. I just want to talk to you about the God part. Do we believe in God anymore? Do we believe in his power? Do we believe that he has no limit to his power? So many times I hear people say, and this is a Christian and an American and a human thing, how many times do you hear an idea, no matter how crazy or asinine or stupid that you hear, and people will say to you, that's impossible. That could never happen. That's a fantasy. That's fiction. You will never, ever achieve it. Yet in this country, your country has made the impossible possible. In large part, thanks to God. You can't fight the English at your founding. You can't survive that brutal winter without some level of divine providence, some higher power of luck. Or maybe it isn't luck. Maybe it was meant to be. And that God honors those humble men's requests, their prayers, their actions, their deeds. But today, have we, do we believe in God? And if we believe in God, and if we believe that there is no limit to his power, do we deserve his blessings? Do we deserve them? Are we men of good will? Are we men of good intentions? Are we men of a servant's heart? Scripture says, the first will be last and the last will be first. Are we servants of one another? Or are we only out to be number one, to be the best? It's all about me. Ask yourself a tricky question. For one second, imagine you are God. If you say it, it happens. If you think it, it happens. If you crack your fingers, it happens. You have unlimited power. Now look around at your life, at America's life, and ask yourself, if they pray to me by your actions, would you help them? You see, who deserves blessings? You know, one of the things I find amazing about reading the Old Testament about the Jews. The Old Testament, you know, there's a saying, you know, history doesn't repeat itself, but it sure does rhyme. The Old Testament rhymes like hell. You know, if I was to sum up the Old Testament, if you were like, John, you know, I, I haven't read the Old Testament, I haven't read the Bible. Could you just sum up the Old Testament, all of those books, in one simple long sentence for me? Just give me the general gist of what happens. 
here it is. There's a set of people called the Jewish people. And time after time, they believe in God. But time after time and generation after generation, man strays from God and becomes removed from God. And then God brings them back in line. You know the amazing thing that I always read about the Old Testament as I research it? When they got so far out of line and so out of whack with what was considered God's law and what Americans might understand as nature's law, nature's God, as society brought them back to where they needed to be, they always asked for forgiveness. They always saw the error of their ways and went, God, please forgive me. Yet look at what happens today. Look at how far we have strayed from the laws of nature's law and nature's God. Look at how far we have strayed. And if we were to be pushed back painfully back into line with his law, would we ask for forgiveness or would we be bitter and resentful? Which leads me to the next question. We may believe in God. Pole after pole says we do. The vast majority of American people, when it comes to Gallup and the poll, they ask, I, th I think they ask it every three months, what percentage of American people believe in a God? The overwhelming majority say, yes, they believe in a God. When they ask what it comes down to a Christian God, the number drops to just over a majority. I think it's like 52% the last poll I saw. I'm not sure how old that is, though might be two months old or six months old, but it's just over 50%. Believe in the Christian God, the God of Isaac, Abraham, and Jacob. But do we act like we need God's help? Or are we so arrogant that we think we solve these problems and that we don't need God? Because God has been taken out of schools, has been taken out of of churches, has been taken out of the public marketplace, has been taken out of everywhere. But by our actions, are we removing God from society? By saying, no God, we don't need you, we got it. Full disclosure, if you're looking for hope, maybe just consider thinking about what I'm about to say. I think there is a chance, and it's a better than average chance, that we right now are right where we need to be if we want to see miracles. You see, I look around at what's coming. I look around us, the national debt, $30 trillion and counting. I look at what's happening in Ukraine. I see the drums of war beating. I see things like Agenda 2030, which is starting to lay the groundwork already for Agenda 2050. I see things like the Great Recess. You will eat meat once a week. You will own nothing and be happy. Where because of climate change, we're going to destroy 5,000 years of agriculture and how we do things and replace it in eight years and redesign everything from crop to place. 
I see inflation. I see a market in industry where it's going to go through so much change and so much pain because we're about to enter a recession and maybe quite possibly a depression. I see all of this happening and many more things. The crash of the dollar. I see the tyranny of banks and central banks coming together at either a national level or even worse, an international level to redesign a digital dollar or a digital currency or a digital euro or a digital pound where they will control every part of what you spend money on. If you spend money on something they don't like, your transaction won't go through. These are all the things, if you ever think my life is fun and glamorous, you should see what I read. It's not fun. It's not fun at all. But what is this about opportunity? You started by talking about an opportunity for God's miracles. For the longest time I've got on this show and said, there's not one problem Americans face that Americans can solve if you return to your founding principles. I still believe in your founding principles. I still believe in the idea of America. But I also now know that we can't do it alone. We can't take on the British army by ourselves. We can't deal with everything we are facing right now without his help. And that is the opportunity. Because let me be quite blunt, and this is my opinion based on all my research. If we solve this, and we survive this, and we are still free in five years or ten years' time, I don't think it's possible we have done it by ourselves. I think we're at the time of miracles. The question is, are we going to act like those Jewish people always acted in the Old Testament? Are we going to be humble? Or are we going to be arrogant? Are we going to ask forgiveness? Or are we going to be arrogant and think we are all-knowing? Are we going to ask God for his help? And for his guidance. And ask for the Holy Spirit to come into our souls. And be men and women of good faith and good character. Are we going to be so arrogant and say, no God, we got this. We don't need you. I'm not disrespecting you. I'm not saying you don't exist. I'm saying we got this. Because we think we are gods. If we solve all of these problems, it's impossible impossible to think we did it alone maybe just maybe we are right where we need to be america the question is will we be hungry enough humble enough to see the opportunity that we have in front of us see america changed the world for many reasons the idea of america is a christian message i know i don't come on here I talk to you about Christianity a lot. I think it's cleared for everyone to see, or I hope it is, by my deeds, by my words, that I am a Christian. I'm a failed Christian. I have so many faults. I have more than many of you out there. But that I try my best. I don't hide my Christianity, but I don't try and push it on anyone either. But this is Easter week. Maybe it's possible that we are right where we need to be. That if we do the right thing, we will see miracles.
But if we are going to see miracles, we need to start thinking about who we are as people. One of my major disagreements, and I've got plenty of disagreements with Christianity, of modern day Christianity, of how they think and how they act. One of the reasons I don't talk about Christianity a lot is because it's not because I'm ashamed of it. It's that I find myself so out of place at times because of what I think, because of what I feel. So many people today talk about being a Christian and I look at you and I'm like, if that's a Christian, I'm sorry, I don't want to use that term. If you're a Christian and you're the real Christian, then I'm not a Christian. I'm not judging anyone else. I'm not condemning anyone else. I don't. God does not need my help or your help to judge and condemn the world. He's got this. But I look around at what modern day Christianity teaches and I just find myself out of place, out of line. See, I make no bones about it. I do my best. I'm not saying I'm some all-knowing prophet. But I read. I do my best to follow the Bible as it is written. And not just as it's written today in modern day 2022 English. I also read old Bibles. One of my oldest and prized collections back home is a really old Bible. It's the 1599 Geneva Bible. Because modern language is always changing. But I want to talk to you about one of the disagreements I have with Christianity, how it's taught today. You see, this is Easter week. And you have Spy Thursday. Then you have Good Friday. And it seems so many times we just try to gloss over them. Yeah, he was betrayed, and he was hung, and he died. But hey, can we just get to Sunday? Can we just skip to the happy ending part where Jesus is risen? Because that's what Christianity is all about, right? He died for our sins. And we don't appreciate the journey that we have. For me, I don't think you can have Easter without really, really understanding the pain, the suffering, the lack of humanity that we experienced on Good Friday. You see so many people today, especially in this world, and it's totally understandable. Because we've advanced so much as a society that we want things instantly. I get it. We're so used to things being at our, available at a moment's notice. Go into a room and switch on a light. Boom. Electricity. Go to a fridge. I am hungry. Go to a fridge and there's food there. You're upset. Take a pill. You're in sore. Take a pill and you're better in five minutes. Everything happens so quickly. And we always want to get to the solution. Understandably so. It's human. No one wants to be in pain. No one wants to suffer. We just want to get to the happy ending part. But here's the truth about life. You can't grow without pain. You can't grow without resistance. You know, in my world, in the powerlifting world, there's a saying, it's in gym world as well. No pain, no gain. You see, the truth of it is you can't just turn up and, you know... I'll use something like, imagine me, a big guy. I can't just go run a marathon tomorrow. In fact, you know, if it's me, being honest with you, you know, I don't think there's any amount of training that I could do to get me to run a marathon. But, you know, you got to build yourself up. you got to run a mile. 
then two miles, then three, then five, then 10, then 15, then 20, and then 26.2. That happens not over those quick, as quickly as I said it. That takes weeks and maybe months of hard work. Of times where you're not feeling it. Oh, I'm tired today. Oh, I'm not feeling well. Oh, my legs are sore. They've got cramps. Yeah, I'll train tomorrow. And we forget the pain and the suffering. You can't grow without pain. You can't get close to Christ without understanding not just the three day, the three days he has risen and he has died for all our sins without understanding the pain, the suffering, the humiliation that went through on Good Friday. Which brings me to my first question. And this is an unpopular question to ask of Christians today, but it's also apt for all the world to see. If you look around at our world, you can clearly see all the advancements we have had since the time of Christ. Just recording this show, they didn't have laptops at the time of Christ. They didn't have microphones. I'm in my room sitting under a fan. They didn't have fans back at the time of Christ. They didn't have iPhones. They didn't have cars. Didn't have guns. There's so many things that we have in our everyday lives. Didn't have fridges. Didn't have sinks. Didn't have an air fryer. Didn't have a freezer. There's so many things. They didn't have indoor plumbing. So many things that we have today. and We've advanced so much through creativity and innovation. We have taken a 5,000 year leap in a mere couple of hundred years. It's amazing. But have we advanced as a people? Question for you. When Pilate went to the people and said, who shall I release? Did they chant Jesus or did they chant Barabbas? But here's the real hard question. If Jesus was alive today in 2022 and he was near you and he was crucified, and the person in power came to you and said, Who shall I release? Christ? Or the modern day version of Barabbas? Who would we choose? Have we grown anything in those 2022 years? Have we grown at all? Or would we still chant for Barabbas? It's a tough question, isn't it? But also, we need to know how much we have grown as people. You see, I'm sure, I have no doubt that many people I know would shout for Christ. But would we shout it publicly? And I'm guilty of this as many people. So I want to be crystal clear, I'm not judging people when I say this. But how many people are proud of their faith today? How many people are proud to walk in his image or do their best? How many people are humble enough to do it? How many people are humble enough to know that we are not worthy to tie his shoe, but we still try to live up to his message, to his deeds, to his principles, to his message, but also to his actions? 
Because you see, one of the frustration things I have, especially in America where everything is so political, but this is not an American thing or a political thing. This is a worldwide thing where we have labels and we distance ourselves from those who are different to us. Here's another unpopular question for you to ask yourself. If Jesus came back to the world tomorrow, do you think if you're righteous, he's hanging around with you? You see, I have friends on the left. There are people I engage with. I call them friends. They probably don't call me a friend, but that's okay. I say that to people and kind of go, wow, you've got friends on the left even in this world? I'm like, yep. We don't agree on much, but we'll talk. But one of the things Christians seem to fall is they think when Jesus comes back, he's coming to hang around with you because you're the good Christian. Do we understand that Jesus wouldn't? One of the reasons Jesus was crucified was because he was hanging around those society deemed unworthy. If you notice anything about the scriptures, Jesus wasn't hanging around with the high priests, with the scribes. No, he was hanging around with the tax collector and the prostitutes. Hardly two noble professions if you read the Bible enough. Do we hang around with prostitutes? Do we hang around with tax collectors? Are we willing to make the sacrifice? To love them? Even if we disagree with them? Are we living out his principles and his values? But also do we take hope? Because we have the winning message. We have the winning message. What is that winning message? The gospel. The Bible. The story, and it is a story, of Jesus. A story of one man who was the son of God, who came to change the world. And humans said, you are part of the problem and you will die. If you do nothing else, you take nothing else from this show, I beg you to feel the pain of Good Friday. To feel the pain that Jesus must have felt. To reflect on it. To reflect on it for three whole days. We can get to the happy ending. We know how the story ends. He is risen. He, we go to the tomb and the tomb, the brick in front of the tomb, the stone has been rolled away and the tomb is empty. We know the happy ending. But let us enjoy or be mindful of the full story. Let us never forget the pain in this world is necessary. But we have a choice when we go through pain. We can come out bitter or we can come out better. For it's far too long, this world, and especially America, that I've seen over the last 18 months, you've come out bitter. You're angry. You're resentful. I get it. I get the anger. I get the resentment. I see what's happening to this country, and I feel angry too. But it's time to come out better. It's time to understand the pain we are about to go through. And understand that as we are about to go through it, it's not going to be fun. It's not going to be pleasant. 
but we can come out better. It can shape us. It can mold us. We can learn from us and we can become better people. Last two points on this unique show. If we are going to solve America's problems and therefore the world's problems, we need to get them back in line with the principles of nature's law and nature's God. We need to reclaim America's narrative. We need to make freedom cool again. But if we are to do these things, we have to understand that doing the right thing is way, way, way more important than winning. We need to stop this winning at all costs mentality. We need to start worrying not about winning or losing, but about doing the right thing. Before I tell you my points, just think of yourself going to those pearly gates to meeting St. Peter or Jesus. Do you think Jesus cares about your win-loss records in elections? Well, Jesus, I I voted in 10 elections and my candidate won 9 out of 10. I'm good, right? I'm getting into heaven. Or do you think Jesus cares more about your, not your voting record, but you doing the right thing? You see, let me break this down to you very bluntly. If you know the story of Jesus and you don't believe he is the Son of Man, Sorry, the Son of God, not the Son of Man. He's the Son of God. And you just look at Jesus' life in simple, plain, human terms. He's not the Son of God. He's not a prophet. He's nothing any special. He's just like me and you, just an average person, just living their lives. What was, did he win? What did he win? Congratulations, you spoke out, you made a difference, you improved a few lives, and then you died at age of 33 by crucifixion. What does that like look like in winning? Is Jesus winning by doing that? Hmm? Now you see, I would still argue he won even in human terms, because life is so simple to in so many ways, but we make it complex. Because we judge today so many people when they die, by the age they live by. How many times do you hear someone, well, so-and-so died, oh, that's so sad. What age were they? Oh, they were 90. Oh, well, they had a good innings. Oh, did you hear so-and-so died? Oh, that's so sad. What age were they? Oh, they were 30. Oh, that's way too young. And it is, I'm not saying it's not. But we judge a life purely on a number. If it's over 70 or 80, or varies by culture, Maybe 90. That's a good innings. Good job. You die under 50 or 40 or 30. Way too young. We don't ever judge it by what they actually did. You see, Jesus might have only lived 33 years, but look at the amount of people he influenced. Just look at the 12 disciples and the impact he had on their lives alone. Not to mention all the people he served. But what was his prize? You see, winning comes in many shapes, sizes, and forms. It's not just winning an election or winning a battle. It's about doing the right thing. Again, something America was built on. You look at the founding fathers of this nation. A lot of them didn't win. 
They had their land stolen. They were executed. They died because of a brutal winter. They were starved. They were tortured. They were hung. They were murdered in battle. Many of your founding fathers did not win. I could go all the way through all your history. I talked to you about the greatest generation in World War II. They were the greatest generation for a reason. But many people, many boys who were mere 16 and 17 year old boys, lied about their age to get into service, to serve and fight a great evil called Hitler. And they paid the ultimate price. They made the ultimate sacrifice and paid to fight that battle, that evil, with their own lives. What did winning look like for them? You see, the truth of the matter is, we don't get anywhere. We don't make progress without sacrifice. But are we willing to make it? Are we willing to fight for something bigger than ourselves? Because you see, here's where I'll be honest with you. I can totally see from an atheist point of view why you wouldn't do that. If you literally believe that your life solely is the existence you have here on planet Earth, why would you kind of fight and do something bigger or risk everything? You know, if you've only got ever how long you have in this, like 10 years, 20 years, 50 years, 100 years, and that's the total existence of your life, I totally get why you wouldn't want to sacrifice, why you'd want to be maybe a bit selfish, quote unquote. But we're supposed to be Christians. We're supposed to believe that this is only a period of transition for ourselves. Yes, we're born here, that we make the best life that we possibly can. We love others, we serve others, until we are called home to paradise to our Heavenly Father. There's a saying back in my country by atheists, and I'm sure it's in this country as well. I've heard it been said by many different people. Christians are a unique breed. They all love God and they all love heaven and paradise. But for being a, such an amazing place, no one seems to want to go there. Or no one is in a rush to get there. It's funny and it's true, right? Winning is not important. If you can win, win. But never sacrifice winning or doing the right thing to win. Next point. I know many of you are hurting right now are suffering it's become commonplace and one of the saddest things and i put so much pressure on myself to make an impact in society because i see your lack of hope i see your doubt people come up to me or message me and come up to me at speech and kind of go thank you for saying what you say you finally given me a bit of hope because i think america's done doubt is natural Fear is natural. Jesus was perfect. Jesus is the son of God. Jesus knows what's happening. But in one of Jesus' weak moments, who we're trying to emulate, who we're trying to follow his example, he had a moment of weakness. When he was on the cross, he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Fear is natural. Doubt is natural. Don't let doubt and fear cloud your judgment. Don't let them define who you are. Don't just fear and doubt. Grow through it. 
These are certain messages. I hear say that to Christians, and Christians don't believe when I say that's one of the things Jesus said, or when I question, when I say he had a moment of weakness. People go, oh, Jesus didn't have a moment of weakness. It's in the Bible. Go read it. But the difference in Jesus' moment of weakness was it was a moment, a moment, a singular moment, not a day, not a week, not a month, not a year, not a decade, a single moment of weakness. In my opinion, it's because it's to show you that Jesus was part of us, that there is part of us in him and part of him in us. He came down in human form and that human form was the part, in my opinion, that was weak and that said those words. It's okay to fear. Just don't let it define who you are. No one thinks ill of Jesus because he said these words. Everyone focuses on the bigger picture of the story of his life, of everything he changed, all the impact he had. We don't judge him on that singular little moment because he didn't let it define who he was. And lastly, I leave you with this. After you spend a bit of time thinking about Good Friday and how we have not really grown as a people and how we can grow as a people going forward if Christians are willing to step up. Take the message of hope from Easter. If this country is lacking in anything to this outsider, it is hope. It's time to put those fears aside. It's time to put those doubts aside. And it's time to start working and doing the right thing. Because one of two things is going to happen. And this is as blunt and as plain as I know how to say this. Either we start acting like the men and women we were called to be. That we start working like it depends on us. And praying like it depends on him. And we start seeing some miracles. And we turn this around with his help. Because we are nothing without him. It's why I love history. History, spell it out. His story. And who is his? Him. The Alpha. The Omega. The Almighty. Either we with his help... Turn the tide around and yet again bring the brink, earth from the brink of total and utter collapse and acceptance of evil. And we turn it around until the next major obstacle happens. Because make no mistake about it, man will not change its evil ways. When we beat the Great Reset, when we beat Agenda 2030, when we beat the Agenda 2050, when we beat the Black Rocks of the world, when we beat the authoritarian governments, like the US government right now under COVID and different rules, when we defeat organizations like the NSA and government departments, when we defeat the governments like Canada, which is holding funds back from those truckers, when we defeat all of this and freedom reigns once again and we are starting to see, like Reagan said in 1984, it's morning in America again. And we have that hope. Make no mistake about it, man's history is consistent. It rhymes like hell that some other tyrannical person will come up with some more tyrannical plan of how they are the ones to control the world. 
whether that's a humankind or whether it's Satan himself. And then we will have to encourage and inspire people to once again remember who you are, remember what we have faced in the past and how we overcame this battle to overcome that battle. Liberty versus tyranny, control versus freedom is an ongoing battle and it never ever ends. That's why Reagan was right when he said in America that freedom doesn't pass in the bloodstream. It's something must that must be earned day after day, year after year, generation by generation. Because there is always someone who knows better in their opinion, who thinks that if you just follow me and you just do as I say, that then we will finally achieve a real utopia. They will always consistently do this. And we must always overcome these challenges, these obstacles. And if you need some inspiration or you need some encouragement to do the right thing, just remember how we will be remembered by future generations. Past generations, I spoke about them. The greatest generation. Where they had to ration food. Where they had to live through massive pain. Where they had to face down Adolf Hitler. The gas chambers taking out of our Jewish brothers and sisters. And they did it, and we call them the greatest generation. Can you imagine what they will write about us as we go through this period, this era of total government control, where we are literally looking at the brink. They are so confident that their plan is going to work. They're no longer laying the groundwork with the Great Reset. They're telling you what they're going to do in plain language, and telling you when they will do it by 2030. Can you imagine what it's going to be like? Can you imagine what the history books will write about us when we beat them? When we got to the brink of tyranny, of total government control, of owning nothing and being happy about it, of living in some type of combination of Ready Player One, Brave New World and Animal Farm, But we survived and we gave our kids and our grandkids an opportunity to live free, to follow their dreams, to pursue their happiness and to live in harmony with nature's law and nature's God. Can you imagine what they will say about us? That's option one. Or option two is we do nothing and we lose. And we lose bigly. And the world goes to war. And the book of Revelations becomes a reality. Because there are no good men left or good women left. We've all either believe in that there's no point in fighting. Or that if there is a point in fighting and there's something worth fighting for. We just can't win and we've just succumbed. And just accepted this new normal. And Jesus comes back and the world ends. As Christians, if we act the right way, we go to paradise. We need to start acting as Christians, knowing that whichever of those happens, we don't lose. Either we turn things around, or we go to paradise with our Heavenly Father. Except what I said just now is not the full story. You have to ask yourself, and this all boils down to your belief in Christianity and your belief in God. If you do nothing right now and the world loses, do you still get into heaven? Are you still saved? 
Is Jesus okay with you downing tools and kind of going, I tried, I, I just don't think we can win. Yeah, I know, God, you're powerful and you can do anything, but I just don't think, with your, even with your help, we can't overcome everything we're facing right now. That the evil is so strong. Do you think you get into paradise? I'm going to be honest with you, full disclosure, my opinion is I don't know. I'm one of those Christians that annoys a lot of other Christians in that I say openly, I don't know who gets into heaven and who doesn't. That's God's job. I believe that there's potential. If you're not a Christian, you can get into heaven. Why? Because I believe my God is all loving and all merciful. And that he decides who gets into heaven, not us. He doesn't need our help. That upsets a lot of my Christian friends when I say that. Even my wife disagrees with that. And that's okay. We agree to disagree. I'm just saying I don't know. But if you believe that you can down tools, then down tools. But I don't think you can. I think you're called to act regardless of whether you win or lose. Because I believe God makes us and calls for us to be the best that we can be. There are the two outcomes, America. What do you want to choose? I can't decide for you. I can't decide for you. I can only decide for myself. One of the reasons I'm not in a bad mood this week, it's not because I've read any less this week. It's not because I have forgotten what I learned the last couple of weeks. It's not because the issues that I'm facing in my personal life have gone away. Because I've been out on the road. I've been, I've been among you. I've been in Lubbock. I've been in Amarillo. I've been in Tulsa. And I've been doing an event. And I'm energized when I'm around you. I'm energized when I can go into a room, talk, and share my passion. And touch people's hearts to wake them up, to inspire them. I'm always all in on this country. I'm always all in on your founding principles. I'm always all in, even when I fail, on God. Because I know he's loving. I know he's powerful. I know he's merciful. But also I know he's a forgiver. I know we can turn things around if we act. It's funny, I always get asked the same question in public or private when I go to these events. John, just between us, can we turn things around? It's not the question. There is not a doubt in my mind if we work like it depends on us and pray like it depends on him, we can turn things around. There's not a doubt in my mind. But that's not the question. The question is, can we? The question is, will we? I'm all in on America. I'm all in on saving this country and this world. I'm all in in making sure we return to God's law, to nature's law and nature's God, to believe in freedom. I'm all in to ensure that Tanya's kids and grandkids have a future, have an opportunity to pursue their happiness, have an opportunity to do and create and to innovate, just like we had and prior generations had. But not the same opportunity, more opportunity. Are you with us on this same mission as me? Or are you going to give up? Because this is where I turn from Christianity for one second and remind you of just who you are as an American. If you're listening to this show and you're an American citizen, remember who you are. You, sir, you, madam, you are an American. An American has always, always, always risen to the challenge. You see, your country is built on making the impossible possible. 
You were the group of pilgrims, of peasants, of farmers who didn't have shoes, who didn't have clothes, who didn't have bedding. Many of you didn't have muskets, had no military training across the board. And you were the set of people who rose up and said no more to the king and fought the king's men who were well-trained, well-armed, well-dressed, well had shoes, had bedding, had food. And you were the people who beat them. And to show it wasn't a fluke, you did it again in 1812. You're the people who got the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. The Constitution was a crisis in 1787. It was like D.C. today, but your country prevailed. Why? Because when things were bad, Ben Franklin, who modern-day history wants to tell you was a deist or maybe an atheist, had the audacity to have a call to prayer like they did during the Revolutionary War. And they opened each session with a prayer to him to bring them in line with his thinking. You are the country, you are the people who overcame the Civil War, which pitted brother against brother, sister against sitter, father against son, family member against family member over the issues. And you're the country that overcame and defeated slavery. You're the country who has overcome every obstacle, has explored everything from the swamp to the stars. You're an American. As an American, you are a legendary, exceptional breed. Your history says you overcome this. That your history says, yes, you're in a bad time, but you've overcome obstacles that are way worse than what you're facing right now. Americans have always risen to the challenge. Are you going to be the first generation of Americans not to? To succumb to the Leviathan? I can't answer for you. I can only answer for me. I'm all in on America. And I give you this promise. For as long as I live, I will do everything I can not to make you angry, but to inspire you, to encourage you, to be your biggest cheerleader. And just look at me. Look at my profile pictures. Look at my videos. I'm clearly the best looking cheerleader you will ever, ever seek to have. Just, if you're struggling and you need something to laugh at, then maybe laugh at this. Because this has been a heavy show. Laugh at the image of me in a little tutu and a little skirt. And a little tight tank top around my chest. With pom-poms and little ribbons in my hair if I had any. Going, America can do us. America, America. And shaking the pom-poms. I do that to end with a joke and to make you smile. As always, we finish up this show by saluting the real heroes in society. You, the American people. Never forget the sentiments of Tocqueville. America is great because Americans are good. And yes, you are good. It's just time to wake up from your doldrums and wake up and start acting. Until next Saturday at 12 noon Eastern, spend some time with your family, hug your kids and your grandkids really tight. And then get back to work. Been an American. See you next Saturday, America. God bless. Stream and subscribe to more Blaze Media content at theblaze.com slash podcasts.